Well, even though we are still in the season of Easter, it is today the fifth Sunday of Easter, the gospel reading for today, actually, it takes us back. It takes us back to a scene that we are very familiar with. It takes us back to the night that Jesus was arrested. Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room in the scene that we are about to, to read. He, he washes their feet. He washes their feet, and as they are gathered around the table, Jesus tells them, he breaks the news for the first time, that one of them will soon betray him. He takes a piece of bread, and he dips that bread into a cup, and he hands it to Judas. And he tells Judas, do quickly what you are going to do. And then Judas leaves the scene. And that's where we pick up the story for today. I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord to you. So when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man has been glorified. And God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you do when things fall apart? What do you do when things fall apart? What do you do when life turns out not to be fair? Or when your hopes and your expectations are not realized? What do you do when the people that you love, the people that you depend on, let you down? It's safe to say that Jesus knows this feeling. Jesus knows what it feels like to be let down. Jesus is well acquainted with things falling apart. A member of his inner circle, someone that he has worked together with, someone that he has spent a lot of time investing in, betrays him. And to make matters worse, just a few moments later, literally the very next few verses from what we just read today, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, that he will deny him three times. Sometimes things fall apart. It's a fact of life. So what do you do? Some of you might know Dietrich Bonhoeffer as the martyr theologian who resisted the Nazis. What you may not know is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, before Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a spy, he was a youth pastor. And one of his first jobs as a youth pastor was to take over a out-of-control confirmation class (laughs) filled with 50 boys. 
The class was so out of control, so rowdy, that Bonhoeffer's best friend and biographer, Eberhard Betke, says that the minister who had been responsible for the class before Bonhoeffer was, quote, at the end of his tether, and in fact died several weeks later. <laughs> Bonhoeffer wrote in a letter that the confirmation class was possibly to blame, that they had quite literally harassed him to death. So this is a good time once again if we could just recognize all of the mentors one more time. <laughs> Confirmation is no joke, but the truth is that Bonhoeffer turned that class around because of his unique pastoral style. Years later, one of the students that was in that class said that Bonhoeffer was able to capture their attention by caring more about them than about the material that he was trying to teach them. He got to know them, to care about their actual lived experience, which I think is evident in the sermon that he preached on the day of their confirmation. And I just wanna read just an excerpt from you. And keep in mind, the original was in German almost 100 years ago. When in the last days before your confirmation, I asked you many times what you hoped to hear in your confirmation address, I often received the answer. We want a serious warning, which we shall remember all our lives. Bonhoeffer goes on, but look, life itself gives us enough warnings and too many serious warnings today. And so today I must not make your prospect for the future seem harder. And I know that many of you know a great many of, uh, know a great many of the hard facts of life. Today, though, you are not to be given fear of life, but courage, but courage. And so today in the church, we shall speak more than ever of hope, the hope that we have and which no one can take from you. Now, I seriously doubt that any of you were hoping for a serious warning today. But I also wanna speak about hope, the hope that we have as a community of faith, a hope that in Bonhoeffer's words cannot be taken from us. And what is that hope? What is that hope? That when things fall apart, that when you are at your lowest moment, that when others let you down, or when it seems like life itself is just too overwhelming for you, too much for you to handle, that God meets you at that exact place, in that exact moment. And what does God do? He lifts you up. He lifts you up. When Jesus realizes Judas has made up his mind to betray him, he says this, now the Son of Man has been glorified. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, which I think is one of the most amazing reactions in all of the New Testament. But it's also very odd too, isn't it? Glory? Now? This is not a word that we would associate with this moment. We think of glory as when things go well, right? Glory is when things work out. We expect for God to be given the glory, right, in that post-game interview by the MVP. Glory, we give God the glory when we get the job we wanted, when we get that award, or when we get into the school of our dreams, or when our lives actually look like the Christmas card we send out every year. Glory is about success achievement. And look, I'm not saying that God doesn't deserve glory when good things happen. 
He certainly does. But life doesn't always go the way that we think it will, does it? We may begin our lives thinking that everything will go according to our plan, and then sooner or later things eventually fall apart. For me, the first time I remember, as I was thinking about this this week, first time I remember this happening was in college. I had planned to play soccer all four years of college, but for some reason my coach did not take my plans into consideration. <laughs> he told me apparently that there were incoming freshmen who were, quote, faster down the wings. And so I was cut, and I'm totally fine about it now. <laughs> I've healed. Sometimes things fall apart, and obviously, obviously, in much more devastating ways. And what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying when he speaks of his rejection and pain and betrayal as his glory is that when life doesn't work out, when that job leaves us unsatisfied, when we get cut from the team, when we don't get into the school of our dreams, when the things we hoped would satisfy us don't, that God is still at work. And maybe God is especially at work in those places. And I know it's hard to believe, and it doesn't feel like it, because it feels miserable when things fall apart doesn't it? But there is an opportunity for hope. And in Bonhoeffer's words, no one can take that hope from us. But there is also another opportunity, isn't there? There's an opportunity for love. On one of the worst nights of his life, Jesus tells his disciples to love each other. He tells them to love each other. Jesus knows that when things fall apart that we tend to isolate. He knows that we tend to blame and resent and judge each other. So he tells them to love each other. This is true for friendships. This is true for marriages, churches, and countries. When things fall apart, we pull away. You probably don't need much convincing to see that things are kind of falling apart in our society right now, and maybe have been for quite some time. Our institutions, our politics, our trust for one another are kind of breaking apart a bit. As Jonathan Haidt put it recently, in the last decade, something went terribly wrong, very suddenly. We're disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We are cut off from one another and from the past. We are living through this right now. So what do we do? What do we do? We could become pessimists. We could kind of shrug our shoulders and say, look, that's the way it is right now. We could think to ourselves of all the people who seem impossible to love. Republicans, Democrats, TikTokers, all those people in our life who we consider to be toxic. But instead of shrugging our shoulders, instead of giving in to pessimism, you know what we could do? We could choose to love anyway. We could choose to love anyway. And not just because we're really nice people who smile and wave at people as we're walking down the street, 
or not just because we think love is a good idea in the abstract, but because we are people who are loved. We are people who have been loved by Jesus Christ. As we said, as we baptized seven of you this morning, we love because God first loved us in Jesus Christ. And that is how we have the power to love. Jesus tells his disciples to love just as he loved them. And how does Jesus love? Unconditionally, without counting the costs, no strings attached. He neither asks us to change before choosing to love us, nor expects us to be perfect after he loves us. Imagine, imagine what the world around us would look like if we chose to love like this. Imagine the healing that might take place. Imagine if the church, if we together as a community, were able to be known by our unconditional love rather than judgment or rules or bad coffee. I think our coffee, our coffee's fine. It's, it's not bad. There's a story I've been thinking about a lot ever since I, I read it, and, and maybe some of you have seen this as well. Uh, since last fall, uh, over 100,000 items have been returned to libraries uh, across New York City, in the Bronx, and Queens, and Manhattan, and Brooklyn. Um, some of these items were so old that they were no longer in the library's system. And some of the, the items, as they were being returned, were, uh, they included some notes. One of them read, enclosed are books I have borrowed and kept in my house for 28 to 50 years. <laughs> I am 75 years old now, and these books have helped me through motherhood and my teaching career. Another read, I'm sorry for living with these books so long. They became family. <laughs> so what happened? Why all of a sudden were these books suddenly returned to the libraries? Well, last October, the New York Public Library System made the decision to eliminate all late fines. They just canceled the debt. They just canceled the debt. The goal was to get books and people back to the libraries uh, after the pandemic, and the campaign was incredibly successful. It turns out that when we remove sources of shame or guilt from people, that they are generally motivated to do the right thing. The president of the New York Public Library said, we are not in the fine collection business. We are in the encouraging to read and learn business. And we were getting in our own way. We were getting in our own way. When Jesus says that the world will know Christians by our love, when Jesus says that the world will know that we are Christians by our love, he's saying in no uncertain terms that we are in the love business. We are not in the pessimism business. That is not our calling. Our calling is to love anyway. So my friends, how about we get out of our own way? Let's get out of our own way. Imagine how the world would heal if the people around us could experience love with no strings attached. Imagine, imagine all of the ways that we might consider canceling the debt in the lives of the people that we interact with. I wonder what they would do if that happened. I wonder. We do not need 
or expect the world to change before we choose to love it. Sometimes things fall apart. Remember that God is still at work. And let's love anyway. And see what happens. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.